Welcome to Transformation Talks Podcast, powered by JMJ Associates. This is Construction Safety Week, and as proud sponsors, we are delighted to invite you to join a conversation about psychological safety, featuring JMJ Senior Consultant Kelly Bettenhausen and Mark Britton, JMJ Partner. Construction Safety Week is here in its eighth year. More than 70 years of national and global construction firms will come together to inspire and engage everyone in the industry to be leaders in safety. JMJ is a proud sponsor, and we are going to talk about a very popular topic, psychological safety. My name is Kelly Bettenhausen. I'm a senior consultant with JMJ Associates, and today we're talking with JMJ partner, Mark Britton. Hi, Mark. Will you please share a little bit about yourself? Hi, Kelly. Great to be with you. Yeah, Mark Britton, partner, as you say. Uh, I've been with JMJ and in consulting for about 30 years and have been lucky enough to have done our work around the world in 35 different countries. So one of the things I've always really enjoyed and been fascinated with is the national cultures that we're working with and seeing how those cultures um, impact the willingness of people to speak up and how they uh, interact with each other, the kind of ability or the willingness to speak uh, to power, as people say. So it's been an interesting journey and experience. Excellent. You know, um, about, I don't know, maybe about six months ago, Mark, you and I spoke around the topic of psychological safety. And I know that you are very passionate about this subject. And in fact, you just recently did some research in the link between psychological safety and physical safety. And I'm curious, why were you so interested in this topic? Uh, and you know, why are many others? Well, first of all, I, I was, uh, my initial interest really started out with what I felt were a series of universal values. A lot of the clients we work with have got a set of values and it always talks about safety as one of the values or taking care of our people or our people's most valuable asset or whatever. So there was some aspect about um, people and how we really have people thrive at work. And that was something I'm passionate about, having people's experience at work be that they're thriving and doing well. And then in the domain of safety, where you and I have done a lot of work, Kelly, and, and the company, we were hearing and I was seeing that often there are these campaigns of saying, speak up for safety or encouragement for people to speak up. You know, raise your voice, speak up. If you see anything unsafe, speak up. And yet you don't, or many people don't. And I was, uh, I was curious as to why. Why is that when there's all of this investment going in and great campaigns, and yet often when there are accidents or incidents, somebody will say, well, somebody didn't raise their voice. Or somebody could have spoken up, but they didn't. What's behind that? And uh, I, where I got really curious about it was a lot of the campaigns seem to place an onus on the workers or the workforce. It's like you speak up. And I got curious about what is it that leaders need to do to create the environment where people would feel safe speaking up and they would be willing to contribute. So let's put the onus or the spotlight on this for if you're a leader of an organization, how can you create that environment where the people who are working within your space, either directly as employees or as contractors, feel safe and they will speak up and they will contribute as you would desire them in the business? I love how you just went into one inquiry that led into another inquiry and looked at the answers that people were providing to the inquiry to guide you into more inquiry into different populations like leadership. 
I think that's absolutely fascinating. And you really did do some research around this topic. And what did you learn from your research? Yeah, I did. Uh, I did research where I interviewed um, 30 leaders from industry, some of them CEOs who'd had 60,000 people working for them uh, and others through a range of different size companies in heavy industries or high risk industries. So oil and gas, chemical mining, construction, those kind of risk industries that we work with. And I was interested in their views and what they saw on this topic. Uh, I also talked with a number of change agents, so people who'd worked across these industries. So it wasn't just the 30 people I was talking to. It was they were drawing on all of their experience. And I kind of got curious about three things. One was, what is it that has people speak up or choose to stay silent? Why do people speak up or choose to stay silent and really dig into that topic? Uh, And then secondly, what is it that leaders can do or what is it they shouldn't do to create a psychologically safe workplace? That was the kind of line of inquiry that came out of it. And so what did you learn? Well, interesting on the why people speak up. So when you, my kind of first sense of this was a lot of these are obvious. There's not a lot of rocket science in it. One of my interviews was an astronaut, but not a lot of rocket science. But when you think of it from a whole, it starts to come together. So why people speak up or why they choose to speak, uh, stay silent, very often it was, will it be heard? I.e., will it be appreciated? Or is it that we've said it several times before and nothing's ever happened? So you do get into this sense of, you know, will it be heard and will it make a difference? And if people sense that, yes, it will be valued, appreciated and acted on, they're willing to speak up. If they feel that, no, they don't, leaders don't really want to hear it or there's nothing's going to change and there's kind of resignation in the space, they won't. Because what they don't want to do is stand out as a complainer or somebody who keeps talking about things and not seeing any action. There's a couple of others that came with it as well. Often some people have a sense of importance in terms of a sense of duty that they need to speak up, and so they will. Others can be either less risk aware or just they don't want to take any risk or get involved in something. So they kind of remove themselves from that situation. But I'd say one of the big things that came through for me and was is one of those things that we conceptually know but really came through strongly is the influence of peers, peer group pressure, particularly when we're working in many cases in very masculine environments. That sense of wanting to belong uh, and feel that they're part of a community, uh, people are not wanting to risk that or put that at risk. So to speak up, they would if it was done in a manner that was seen to be supportive to each other and would build a sense of community. But if there was any sense of a fear of peer retribution or that they were going to be seen to be sucking up to the boss or they were going to be seen to be disloyal, they would withhold speaking up. So that was an area that I kind of conceptually knew, but went, hmm, there's a lot to unpack for us as leaders in there to think about really what are the dynamics and how are we uh, cognizant or thinking about the peer group pressures that exist within our workforce or teams. And then the final one, just that I'd highlight, there were a number of these, but was the the national cultural traits, depending where you're working and who you're working with. Some national cultures, Scandinavian, for instance, much more comfortable speaking up, much more willing to raise their voice in terms of with senior execs, whereas other cultures, now much more respectful of elders or seniors and wouldn't challenge authority and will remain silent in their presence. So 
it was really seeing several different factors coming through about why people choose to speak up or why they stay silent. And one of the main things that uh, Amy Edmondson, for instance, and others talk about is in, in that moment, if you're close to an accident or you're in an event, people make a decision in the moment as to whether to speak up or to stay silent. And often they're thinking about consequence. And the consequence of speaking up in the moment and the fear of somebody responding negatively to you or challenging you back or saying, what's it got to do with you? Or maybe even more retribution. You can see what a possible consequence is. If you choose to stay silent, you're not going to incur that. Whereas the benefits may actually be longer term or maybe not quite so apparent at that point in time. So often people wouldn't challenge what they perceive to be authority, particularly if somebody had the ability to impact, you know, their future work or their future continuity of employment or anything of those nature, or they had some authority. And there's a number of several famous case studies, particularly in the airline industry and areas like that, where, you know, people haven't spoken up and challenged senior pilot authority. So it's a fascinating area. So that was one of the things we learned about in terms of why people speak up or choose to stay silent. You just spoke to so many things that resonate for me personally and professionally. I was thinking about my experiences in the field and standing with groups and having conversations with around this question. And there is something to the peer-to-peer that I know that you could probably talk uh, 30 minutes about if at least. And then there's also around leadership and the role. And sometimes from my point of view, Mark, there has been almost like a, I'm going to put this over on the other side of the fence. It's the workforce's responsibility. And then the workforce, sometimes it's the pushing over the fence where, well, leaders need to do this for us and for, for these things to happen. And my assertion is from what you just said, that there's a role to play for both. And in leadership, especially I know that there's several things that you identified um, around leadership and practices. Could you talk to four primary ones that really resonated through your research for leadership and practices? Yeah, sure. And um, so these were these were themes that emerged from the research that these leaders and change agents raised with me. And uh, one of the first ones that I'd, I'd highlight for us is about be visible and accessible. So what came up is if you want to create a psychologically safe workspace, be visible and accessible. And I think you'll hear a lot about visible felt leadership and being visible, being out in the field. But often people dug deeper. They said, you know, it's not about doing a town hall meeting. It's not necessarily about doing a site visit. Make yourself accessible. So visible and accessible, I'd actually put the emphasis on the word accessible. Because one of the things that came through is if you really want to engage and get feedback from the workforce and get their contribution and ideas, make yourself accessible. If you go on a town hall meeting and you say, okay, question and answers, back to that peer pressure point or back to national cultures, not everybody's going to feel comfortable speaking up to you in front of you know, hundreds of other peers or even their own work team of 10 people. But if you can make yourself accessible and connect, then you will get that feedback. And there's a number of examples were raised with me of leaders kind of giving their personal phone numbers or finding opportunities to be with specific groups. We had leaders where in certain cultures would get time with just one of the cultures working on the work site. 
So they would feel safer that they weren't in the front of all the other nationalities or that they would work with one specific gender or grouping together so that their voice could be raised without being in front of other groups. So as a leader, really think about how accessible are you and how can you provide a safe space for people so that it's easy for them to communicate, they feel safe with you, and you can really be engaged in their workplace. That was the other thing that came through, Kelly, was how can you be in their workplace where they're comfortable and you put yourself into their environment where they're more likely to engage and feel comfortable with you? So that first one, a critical one for all of us, be visible and accessible. And I just want to jump in here because it leads into the second one, but there is a a definition around accessibility because we talk a lot about visibility, but I love the way you just highlighted that accessibility and what that means and what that looks like. And by being accessible, I want to start to say that you're also building relationship. Exactly. Exactly. you're, You're showing by making yourself accessible that you value their opinion and it's important enough for you to give them access and to have time for them that you want to get the contribution and listen to them. So the second key theme as you're picking up on is about building relationship. And this is where I think, again, there are probably three practices that as leaders we can look to do. One is build a genuine connection with people. Just just don't be doing it for instrumental sense. Some of the leaders that talked about it or people were cited to me or quoted to me as being great leaders was the people that they really connected, they demonstrated an authentic interest in family in particular, or they would look to build relationships through common geography, where they were both from, or experiences they had, jobs they'd worked on together, sports teams. Find the ways of connection. What's that personal connection you've got with any individual? either from where you've worked or they've worked, but just get something before you dive into the content of work. Where is there some personal connection? Second, share about yourself. Really, you you know, one of the key things uh, I often hear from, from workforces or working with people is when a leader has shared something about themselves and made themselves vulnerable. And it's amazing to hear, oh, I didn't see them as their role. I saw them as the person. So be vulnerable. Tell them about yourself. We had a leader recently who shared about issues that they had in their family and some of the mental health challenges that they'd been facing as a family. And it really resonated for people. And it really made a difference to go, you know what? Despite their role, I now see that they're dealing with a lot of the issues in life I am. And it just touches people's hearts to be able to have that kind of connection. And Mark, there was a time people would assume a lot of assumptions at a time that that would not be valued or people wouldn't want to know. And what I hear more and more around psychological safety is sharing of yourself and getting to know people on a personal level is actually a true value, does build trust and does create a safe space. Yeah, and if you look at, you know, when we talk about definitions, exactly, Kelly, around psychological safety, if we're standing in it that it's a work environment that's safe to take some interpersonal risk-taking, if you want people to do that, do it yourself. 
don't demand that from other people without being willing to do it yourself. So, hey, I'll tell you about some of the issues I'm facing. I'm being vulnerable. I'm taking some risk with you. People will reciprocate that. They will come right back at you and share with you. But you've got to be willing to put something of yourself out there first. And in your research, there's several others. How many? Are there 10, Mark? There's 10 in total. And I just want to touch on one last one. So we've mentioned being visible and accessible, building relationship. And I want to touch on acknowledge and appreciate because I think there's real value in in bringing this up. And in the future, hopefully we'll go over the others as well. Yeah, so, you know, so much attention and safety, as we all know, is when something goes wrong or something's not right. It's, it's easy to lose that kind of sense of balance or the sense of feedback, justice in feedback around what's going well and really acknowledging and pe- uh, appreciating people when they are working safely or for a job well done in a safe manner. So this is one that came through. But the interesting thing, again, as leaders is, okay, what are the practices? What are some of those things you can do uh, in this? So I, I heard anecdotes from leaders about how they would, you know, have lunches, hold events, publicly acknowledge people for great contributions, particularly if they were building the kind of worksite culture that people were desiring. And particularly when it's discretionary effort, really acknowledging people and giving public recognition and positive reinforcement. And then people in the workforce start to say, wow, the leaders are serious. And wow, they really do appreciate that kind of input. And wow, maybe this is something I should get engaged with. Well, maybe I'll contribute my idea next time. So you start to build that kind of positive cycle with it. The second is look for what's rewarding for people. And it's not always financial rewards. I mean, we've worked in cultures, Kelly, where a simple certificate makes a huge difference for somebody to know that they've been acknowledged and they've got some recognition for senior leaders and they've got something they can show to friends and family. So Kazakhstan is one of those cultures where it's great in terms of public recognition and that kind of certification goes down really well in those cultures. But the third area as well is around those leaders telling stories. I heard the great practices of leaders who would find out of an event that had happened and somebody had done something and then go tell that story 20 times and tell people how that made a difference for you and how that's the kind of behavior or the interventions you want to see. Just promote that across the organization or within the project, and it starts to catch on. People see it as an illustration of what you're really looking for. So all of these are things that we know, Mm -hmm. but to be able to do them in a concise way with a set of practices and distill it out was, was really exciting and rewarding to do as a research project. Oh, my gosh. it's I have so many more questions and so many more stories to share. And I was thinking as I was looking at the research too, Mark, is that, you know, often the other day, for example, I was talking with a group of leaders and providing them feedback from being in the field. And there was a lot of acknowledgement and recognition in the work that they had been doing and applying their practices, you know, things like increased communication, leaders showing up differently, were able to speak up more was another example from the conversations that I had had. And as I shared them, one of the leaders said, 
This is fabulous because we as leaders very rarely get feedback on the good things we're doing. It feels like we're always giving the appreciation and the acknowledgement, but very rarely do we get it back. And it got me thinking and looking at your research in psychological safety, what is the value for leadership to create a psychologically safe space? What is the value for, if I'm a leader, why would it be important? What value do I really get overall from creating psychologically safe space? Let's look at that from an individual level and an organizational level, if I went nice. through that lens. I mean, I think as an individual, if you, if you invest yourself, that investment comes back. And invest yourself, I mean, you know, make yourself vulnerable, put the time in, do the kind of activities that you were talking about with that leadership team. It's very rewarding to get, A, the feedback and the appreciation come back to you from the team in the field because they will appreciate it if they see that you're serious and you're committed to their success and you want them to be safe and you're demonstrating care. And if you're doing that, they'll care back. So you've got that sense. But also, when you really connect in and you get that relationship, you can start to learn. You're learning a lot. You're connected. You're learning in the sense that you're finding things out. People are bringing things to you. You're making a difference in your organization. You're you're you've reinvigorated or you've got that kind of life back in it. You're not in your office working remotely. You've really got that connection and a part of the whole system. So it can be very rewarding on an individual human level to have that kind of connectivity again and really feel that you're making a difference. On the organizational level, you're learning, you're looking at the improvements, you're able to support the advancement of the company performance, you're able to keep people safe, you're able to make a difference in their lives, you're really working on the performance of the company. So it isn't like, well, we're working on performance and then there's these things to do to build psychological safety. No, building psychological safety is improving your company performance. It's foundational to building your company performance. So that's really something to consider and work on. We know how to do it. It's a way of also, one of the things I often hear with leaders is, okay, but we're so busy and we've got so many meetings. Here's where it's rewarding. Build it into your daily routine. It's two minutes to ask somebody a question or five minutes at the start of a meeting or, you know, Take a detour when you walk through the office and go to a different floor or a different porter cabin or a different location. Find those dark places you don't normally go to in terms of your site or your organization and spend some time there and just indulge yourself, but be present, visible and accessible to the people. You'll find it immensely rewarding. And it may feel conscious a conscious effort in the beginning as you're applying it. But after time, it's just going to become a habit, something that just occurs. So a little more time investment at the beginning. And then as time goes on, it just becomes, like you said, incorporated within the day. I love how you just put that out there like that. Yeah. And let yourself explore versus having to be the expert. Yeah. You know, so many senior managers feel that they they are at that point where they've got to impart knowledge because they're supposed to know in that role. 
But if you can do this psychologically safe work where you can just stand in, you know what? I'm exploring. I'm a learner. It'll create that curiosity. People will respond to you in that mode. There is so much value in this conversation. Thank you very much for this great discussion. Thank you, Kelly. Great fun. If you're interested, and this goes to the listeners, if you're interested to hear about the other six leadership practices to create a psychologically safe environment, then please reach out to JMJ Associates at jmj.com. Thank you for listening to Transformation Talks podcast. Head to jmj.com for episodes, insights, and more.